So the question I have for you this morning is, are you walking in darkness? Are you walking in darkness? Now, for me, I like to think that I'm kind of an expert, actually, at walking in darkness. Um, I started this because I grew up, my bedroom was in the basement, um, and it was very far away from a bathroom, which was unfortunate because I'm a light sleeper, and so if I wake up in the middle of the night and the sun is on or I turn on a light, then I'm just going gonna, gonna to be up for hours. So what I would do, my, my genius plan was whenever I woke up in the middle of the night and just had to go to the bathroom, I would keep all the lights off and I would try and just keep my eyes closed so I could just stay in a very sleepy state as I make my way across our big massive basement and then up the 12 stairs and then around some corners and around another corner and then into the bathroom and then kind of keep all the lights off again and then just kind of repeat on my way back down trying so I can stay asleep. That was my plan. As you can imagine, it doesn't always work the best. But it trained me well for having children, right? Because if it's been a while for you, having young children, if you forget, they wake up a lot in the middle of the night, especially at first. And I'm typically put in charge of our children in the middle of the night. So especially recently, for whatever reason, Grant has decided he wanted to start waking up more in the middle of the night again or not sleeping as long as I want. So I'd still do the same thing. Wake up, Try and keep my eyes closed, all the lights off, and make my way the way our house is laid out. It's just like one long, massive brick hallway, and so I kind of wander through and up and down steps and try and get in and out and stay asleep as much as I can. As you can imagine, what happens so often is as I'm doing this in the dark is I bang my feet a lot, I smack my head into doors, I trip and fall, and that wakes me up as well. Why? Well, because walking in the darkness is not a good idea. When you walk in the darkness, it's not wise, and often what happens when you walk in the darkness is the, the darkness is going to hurt you. What we do this morning is we are going to look at a little bit of walking in darkness. Now, many of us, especially those who call ourselves Christians, might find ourselves in a similar situation where we might call ourselves experts at following Jesus, but if we actually look at our lives, we might see that we are truly just walking in darkness. And so as we begin our study, we're starting a new series in the book of 1 John. We're going to be in it all through August for just five chapters. We'll spend five weeks in it. But the central question of this first chapter in these ten short verses is this. Are you walking in darkness? Are you really walking with Jesus? This chapter is going to turn the light on, all of our, on in all of our lives, and we're going to find out, am I really walking with Jesus or am I heading right into a wall? So that's an important question for us to discern. So if you would, turn with me um, in your Bibles to 1 John. We're going to be in the first chapter. Um, and I'd invite you to stand if you're able, which is just our, our habit, because we want to um, give honor and glory to God's Word. And I will just read um, this chapter for us. And it says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, and which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the Word of life. The light that was made manifest, we have seen it and Testify to it and proclaim to you eternal life, which was made with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so our joy may be complete. And this is the message we've heard from Him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. For if we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie. And do not practice the truth. If we, but if we walk in the light as He is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. 
If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. The grass withers and the flower fades, but God's word stands forever. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for your word. Um, I ask that the, the light of your word and your Holy Spirit would go on in this place. Um, Lord, would you open our ears to hear your word? Would you convict us? Lord, would you show us if we are truly walking with you or if we're walking in darkness? Would you encourage those of us who are walking with you? Would, would you bless us and challenge us, Lord? Would we, every person in this place, would we leave having had an encounter with your word and with your son? We pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. You can be seated. So I have three questions, really, that we're going to go over to kind of determine whether or not you're walking in darkness. And the first question is this, have you seen Jesus? Have you seen Jesus? The Apostle John, who, who wrote this short letter, has seen Jesus. And he begins by putting all of his authority as an apostle, which is the, the official title, right, of the men who follow Jesus have saying that my authority to, to write God's word, to give you instruction, is based on the fact that I have seen Jesus. Verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen, which we have looked upon, and which we have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And that word of life is Jesus. You also notice... Our call to worship was John 1.1. 1, 1. You see the similarities between how these two passages begin. It's that same thing. This is the Word. And who is the Word? The Word is Jesus. And he repeats it two more times in case he thinks you didn't get that he has seen Jesus. Verse 2. For the life that was Jesus was made manifest and we have seen it. And verse 3. That which we have seen. Well. <laughs> well. There you go. He does. At least Mike's still working. <laughs> but so John, he places so much of his emphasis as an apostle on the fact that he has seen Jesus. It is something that he has experienced. Okay, the apostles, they're the leaders of the church. These 12 men, it's the 12 disciples, you know, minus Judas, plus Matthias, plus Paul, who are followers of Jesus, who walked with him who lived with him, who heard about him, not just about him from other people, but who heard about Jesus from the mouth of Jesus. It isn't something that they invented. These words aren't something that they discovered somewhere else. They didn't sit around and make this all up on their own. Their authority comes from the fact that they have seen Jesus, that they sat across from Jesus at the dinner table, that they got to look in Jesus' eyes with their own eyes. They got a front row seat to the ministry of Jesus and his whole life. They didn't just hear about it from other people from faraway towns. They didn't hear it from secondhand sources. They heard about Jesus from Jesus' own mouth. They knew the way that Jesus talked. They knew what his accent sounded like. And they touched Jesus. That's so why they say, which we, we've seen, touched with our own eyes and we've touched him with our own hands. They knew what Jesus' hands felt like before and after the crucifixion when they had scars. They knew what it felt like to hug Jesus, to see Jesus, to see Jesus when he was mad, to see Jesus when he was tired. The apostles knew 
and saw Jesus. So when John and when the apostles write in the scriptures and when they write and they talk to us about Jesus, they are not talking about a Jesus that they have just heard about or read about or studied. They are talking about a Jesus that they know. A Jesus that they have seen. That they have experienced firsthand. And we can trust this. Verse 2. And we testify. We bear witness to is another way to translate that. And we proclaim to you eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Which again we have seen and heard. And we proclaim to you what we have seen and what we have heard. Why? In the end of verse 3. So that you may have fellowship with us. So that you can follow Jesus too. That's why they, they do this. And so the question for us is that we need to ask as well, have we seen Jesus? And have we seen the same Jesus that John saw, that Peter saw, that the other apostles saw, that Paul saw? And we talked a little bit about this on Wednesday night. We're going through and studying the attributes of God. And one of the things I briefly touched on is the fact that, you know, everybody really kind of likes Jesus, generally speaking. Right? You won't find many people who, when you talk about Jesus, will be like, ah, oh, I hate Jesus, big jerk. <laughs> Most people, will, even if they want, you know, aren't, don't consider themselves religious, will say, yeah, Jesus, nice guy. There's some stuff I really do like about Jesus. But the interesting thing about that is all of us kind of can like our own version of Jesus, whatever it is that we have made him out to be. And usually what we make him out to be is a Jesus who agrees with me about everything. That's, you know, that's our favorite kind of Jesus. The Jesus who affirms everything that I affirm, who never taught anything that I don't like anyway. And if I read something that I didn't like, then, well, he must not have meant that. He must have meant something different. And all of us are guilty of that. So don't think just because you've been a Christian for a long time that you too can't fall into that trap. So the question that we have to ask ourselves, are we really seeing and following the Jesus of God's word and the Jesus that the apostles saw and knew and the Jesus who is real? Or are we following a Jesus that we've made up in our own imagination? Have we seen the same Jesus? Because eternal life that John talks about, that he invites us, we are proclaiming to you the eternal life. We are proclaiming this so that you can have fellowship with us, so that you can be reconciled to God the Father with Jesus, his Son, at the end of verse 3. We are telling you all of this so you can have this eternal life. And the only place you can get this eternal life is in the person of Jesus. And it's not a Jesus that you make up. It's not any Jesus that you want. It's not any kind of God you want. The only place you are going to find it is in this Jesus. And it's in the Jesus that I've seen, that I've heard, that I've touched with my hands. And let me tell you about that Jesus. And you might not like everything about him when you first meet him, but this is the only place that you can find eternal life. And that Jesus loves you. So the question we have to ask ourselves again is, well, have we seen Jesus? Have we seen the Jesus that John saw? If we met John, if we could sit across the table from him and have a meal with him, and he asked us, hey, tell me about the Jesus that you know that you really like. And we told him about it, we described him. Would John recognize that Jesus? Or would John say, I, I, I hear what you're saying, but that doesn't sound like the Jesus that I've seen, that I've touched, that I've heard, that I met, that I loved. And John is the apostle in his gospels. He's frequently referred to as the apostle or the disciple that Jesus loved. If anyone knew Jesus, John was the one who knew him best. So we need to make sure that we are seeing and have seen the same Jesus that John saw. The second question that we have to determine if we're walking in darkness or not is, do you walk with Jesus? 
It's really the central question of the passage as well. But do you walk with Jesus? Verse 6 is the key here. For if, there's a lot of if-then statements. I love those. They, they click in my brain. For if we say that we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie. And don't practice the truth. Now first, again, walking, it's a metaphor for the Christian life. It's a metaphor for really all of life. And in, in the normal way that we live, right? The path that you are heading down. The direction that you're going in your life. So I so often we may use phrases or Christianese, well, tell me about your walk with Jesus, right? We, we kind of know instinctively just from God's word that this is how we talk about things. And what John is saying is you cannot walk with Jesus and be walking in the dark. Those are mutually exclusive things. And really when he's saying walking in darkness, it's also a metaphor for walking in sin with the world. You cannot walk with Jesus and also just walk in your sin. It is one or the other. Verse 5, and this is the message we've heard from him and we proclaim to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness. So if you were walking with Jesus, the eternal life and the eternal light reflects God's glory, then there can't be any darkness around him. If you're following Jesus, you can't be following after sin. What this means, too, is what this tells us is that it is easy to say that you have fellowship with him. Verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him, that doesn't necessarily mean that we have fellowship with him. You can say, yes, I'm a Christian, but that doesn't buy you anything just by saying that. There are many who say that, who declare that, who are not actually walking with Jesus. Following Jesus is different. Any dope can say they're a follower of Jesus. That doesn't make them one. I remember um, early days of Facebook, right? This is back when you had to get a special invite to get into it. You couldn't just sign up if you wanted. It was this like exclusive club. And so I remember being excited when I finally, you know, got somebody who was going to get me in so I could be cool. I thought it would unlock this new world for me. Um, didn't really in the way that I believed. But one of the things, you know, when you sign up there, you got to fill out all your information and all your stuff. You know, your name and birth and place and all the other stuff that it wants to know so it can sell it later. But I remember doing it. Is one of the places it had was your religious beliefs. And okay, what are your religious beliefs? And there were all sorts of options down there. There's about 77 options under there for being a Christian as well. And so I went, okay, I'm going to click Christian. So anytime somebody goes there, you know, well, what's David? Well, says he's a Christian. Guess what? I could put that. There's plenty of people who put that and who still put that. You click there in your box. So if I go to your Facebook, it says, well, they, they say they're a follower of Jesus. Clicking that box isn't going to make you a follower of Jesus. Jesus warns us himself in Matthew 7, 21, as part of the Sermon on the Mount, that there are many people who are going to say, Lord, Lord, who call me Lord, who say they're a Christian, and then when they come face to face with Jesus at the judgment seat, Jesus is going to say, I don't know who you are. You haven't walked with me. Plenty of people who, when you look at their life, their life doesn't actually look like someone who is following Jesus. Question we have to ask ourselves, well, do I really walk with Jesus? Do I just say I walk with Jesus? One is easy, one is different. And John doesn't mince any words here. He, he is not afraid to say, hey, you call yourself a Christian, you ain't walking with Jesus? Liar. 
say, John, that's not very nice. Like, we need to be, we need to be kind to people. You know, we should be, be loving, kind of draw them in and say, well, you know, have you ever considered maybe, possibly, you're not actually following Jesus? That's the way I like to, to think. I don't like confrontation. But John doesn't have a problem with it. He says, you say you're a Christian, you're not walking with Jesus, you are a liar. And you're not practicing the truth. You are a person who lies, and you do not regularly practice not being a liar. He just doubles down on it. Again, verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. Being a Christian means that you walk with Jesus. Some people are very interested in calling themselves Christian because maybe in some places it gets them something that it doesn't in other places. So if they were somewhere else, they wouldn't call themselves that. But if they're here in this place, you know, they want to fit in. So yeah, I'm a Christian. But they aren't actually interested in following Jesus. We need to be interested in following and walking with Jesus. But what does walking with Jesus look like? What does a true Christian look like? Well, John tells us, verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Walking with Jesus means not walking in darkness, but walking in the light. It means not walking in sin and the things that we want to do. It means walking and doing what Jesus wants us to do. And this living for Jesus is what reveals the fact that we have fellowship with Jesus. It reveals the fact that we are actually Christians, that we are actually saved, that we are actually born again. There is a sense in which these verses should scare us. There are plenty of people who call themselves Christians that should read this and should be a little terrified. Because this means that there are some who have prayed sinners' prayers that are going to find themselves not where they think when Jesus returns or when they die. If you think you can just pray a prayer or check a box on a piece of paper or, you know, raise your hand once and then do whatever you want, you might have actually missed Jesus. Because if you have actually surrendered your life to Jesus, if you've actually given your life to Jesus, if you've actually repented of your sins and turned your life over to Jesus, that means you are going to walk with Jesus. It doesn't just mean you follow Jesus once at a moment and now you're good. Go do whatever you want. It means, no, now your life's going to be different. But for the believer, for somebody who is walking with Jesus, I don't think this is, should bring us anxiety. Although it can. John is not preaching salvation by works here. He's not saying, hey, in order to be a Christian, to really walk with Jesus, you've got to be perfect. You've got to be walking with Jesus 100% of the time. And if you ever step into that darkness, you're a liar and you're done. And, you know, go back, you know, go to jail. Don't pass go. Don't collect $200. That's not, I don't think, what John is saying. Although, again, he's going to repeat some of this and some of it is going to challenge us. But what John is saying is if you are not normally... If you are not continually, if you are not regularly, if you, the trajectory of your life is not one that looks like it's following Jesus more than it's not following Jesus, I'm not sure you're actually following Jesus. If you're not obeying his commands, if you're not loving the things that Jesus loves, if you're not growing in your love for God and a love for other people and a love for your neighbor, if those things aren't true of you, then hey, I, I don't think you're actually know Jesus. You might just be walking in darkness. Because walking with Jesus means actually living like Jesus. It means becoming more like Jesus. It means walking and living in the light. John's not calling us towards perfection. And then if we ever sin, it's, it's too late. But what he is saying is, hey, we've got to look at our lives and be honest. Are we really walking with Jesus or are we not? 
Here's the last question. It's the most important. Have you been cleansed by Jesus? Have you been cleansed by Jesus? The word cleanse is used twice in these short 10 verses. We see it in verse 7. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And we see it again in verse 9. And, and he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I think these verses here are here to reassure us because there may be some in this room that even the, the way reading this or talking about it can scare you. Or maybe you even hear the enemy's voice whispering in your ear and are beginning to doubt and wonder your salvation. You think, well, maybe I should pray that again. I should go get dunked again, get baptized again, or rededicate my life just to make sure because I've been walking in darkness this morning. And so, you know, maybe this is me. These verses here are to reassure us that if Jesus has cleansed us from our sin, we've been forgiven of all our sins. All of it. And he says it twice, right? He says, all our sin, verse 7, and then all unrighteousness, verse 9. Okay, I've taken a lot of Greek classes. It's in my undergrad in the seminary, I took five, I actually took six semesters in my undergrad, and then I took five more in my graduate stuff. Okay, so I've got, I've got a lot of Greek. I'm not like an expert, not world-renowned. You can go and double-check it. But I'm going to say with all the authority that I have, in Greek, this all, it means all of it. Okay, so you can, you can get that. I know, it might take you a second to unpack the geniusness of, that I just gave you. But I mean, what I mean, I had a professor too in my undergrad, Dr. Fink, and he would say, class, you know what all means? All means all. And that's all all means. And he would just kind of repeat that all the time. So when I read these verses, I heard Dr. Fink's voice in the back saying, class, you know, all means all. That's all all means. What that means is this means all of our sins. If you've been clean, cleansed by Jesus, if you have given your life to Jesus, then his blood has washed away every single bit of it. Are you washed in the blood? That beautiful hymn. You often hear that hymn in, in movies whenever they're portraying, especially some weird church or some Pentecostal thing or something else. Why do they pick that song? Partly because you can't listen to that song and not think, this is some kind of religious thing. Like, there's no other way you can take this song. This isn't just something, if you don't like Jesus, you're going to listen to this because this song's weird. What do you mean washed in the blood? Well, that's what we mean, that we have been washed by the blood of Jesus. Every single sin, all of it, all of your past sins, all of your present sins, your sins now in this moment since we've been here, all of your sins in the future, the sins that you're going to have when you get, before you leave the parking lot and once you get home and tomorrow and the next day and the next day and all after that, all of our sins and all of our unrighteousness was dealt with at the cross by Jesus. This is the gospel. This is what we preach, this is what we believe. The idea that Jesus came down from heaven because our sin, the wages of sin are death. All of us deserve to die and be separate from Jesus forever in hell. And that, that is justice. And so what did God do? Well, in His grace, He sent His Son to die the death that we deserved. To take on the suffering that we should have had, that we should have faced. To cleanse us from all of our sin. Past, present, future. It's not something we deserved. It's not something we earned. And Jesus didn't just forgive you for all of the sins that you had before you became a Christian. And now you've got to keep praying that every day to make sure and, and take another dunk. His blood wasn't good enough. You've got to keep going over and over and over again. No, it was the once and for all sacrifice. 
So you read the Old Testament, they kept having these brutal sacrifices. Why are they, you know, slitting the throats of, of goats and cows over and over and over again? That is bloody and that is weird. Well, all of that was to point towards Jesus. There's a reason we don't do that anymore. And it's not because we're so modern or so fancy. Because every single sacrifice that they had to do daily and weekly and once a year was to point towards Jesus. And he only had to die one time. So as he, with his last breath, said, it is finished. All of your sins, they are finished. You've been cleansed by my blood. The blood of Jesus that cleans us, it doesn't need a redo. He didn't miss a spot. If you've been saved by Jesus, you didn't go halfway under in the blood and you need to go again. This should be reassuring. Many of us in this room here this morning, we do walk with Jesus. We find ourselves in moments where we're walking in the darkness. We find ourselves in moments of weakness or if we're honest, days that are really bad. Or maybe if we're really honest, we may even find ourselves with weeks where we just don't want to have anything to do with Jesus and we walk away from Him. But what this tells us, yes, I mean, we, we should repent and we should confess our sins, but that does not mean that we have not been clean by the blood of Jesus. And actually, it doesn't mean that we haven't lost our salvation. What it means and that the fact that we need to keep seeking forgiveness and we desire to repent more is actually a sign that we've already received it. We ask for forgiveness and we repent continually as believers, not because if we don't, then that's it. We, we've invalidated the blood of Jesus. That's not how it works, but it's because we know that we still desperately need him and because we want to keep following him. And, and there's an example of this somewhat in church history, something called the Donatism controversy. And it was early in like the fourth through sixth centuries. We talked about it briefly, maybe almost a year ago, um, when we went through church history over Zoom on Wednesday nights. And basically what happened, in case you don't remember off the top of your head, which I didn't, so I had to, you know, go refresh my own memory on this. But in the early days of the church, right, there was a lot of persecution. There were some Roman empire emperors who didn't like Christians. They didn't like what they were doing, and so they would persecute them. They would ask people to turn in their Bibles, deny their faith, they'd ask, you know, or be, be jailed, be executed, all these different things. And so there were many believers who refused and in faith um, went to their deaths because they trusted and wanted to walk with Jesus more than anything else. But there are some who did deny Jesus. There were some who turned in their Bibles, as you can imagine. It's easy to think, oh, well, when the pressure's on and that moment comes, I'm going to be great. But that's not all of us. And there are some who were believers who did deny Jesus, who turned over their Bibles. And then when the challenge passed, some of them came back, wanted to come back to the church. There were even priests and bishops who denied the faith. So when the persecution ended, there was this question of, well, what do we do with these people? We know they said they were following Jesus, but they, they definitely were walking in darkness because they, with their voices, said, no, 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 I'm not following Jesus anymore, so what do we do with them? And some of them, the Donatists, said, get them out. They walked in darkness, they're done, that's it. They've missed it. There's no more grace. It's too late. And so they even went so far to say, hey, those priests and those bishops, if they baptize people, those churches, all that stuff, that's all invalidated. We've got to baptize everybody they baptized again. And definitely anyone who denied Jesus, they clearly weren't saved, so we need to baptize them again too. 
And to make sure that they're really believers this time. You can imagine, right, this would cause quite a stir and, and a fight over what do we do. And that is a challenge. But what John tells us here is that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. All unrighteousness. And all sin means even the worst sin that you can think of. Even that, even denying Jesus. Any sin that we confess can be and will be forgiven. Forgiveness from our sins, it doesn't come from clean living and being super righteous and being the best Christian ever. It comes from the blood of Jesus, and that's the only place it comes from. And this forgiveness is available to anyone who will come and admit, I'm a sinner and I need Jesus. I need to be made clean. My life is dirty. Please wash me. Even those who deny Jesus, they, they come. Well, Jesus says he'll forgive all sin. All of it. The only way to miss out on being cleaned by Jesus is to deny that you're dirty or to deny that you've sinned. That's why John repeats this twice. Verse 8, if you say you have no sin, I don't need to repent, I'm clean. I don't think I really need Jesus. I'm pretty good on my own. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. It's another way of saying liar. You're lying to yourself. You know you, you need to be made clean. In verse 10, he's, then he says, If we say we haven't sinned, you make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So if you say you don't need to be made clean by Jesus, you're not just yourself a liar, you're actually saying God is a liar. You're saying that Jesus is a liar, and the apostles who knew Jesus, they are liars, because all of us, all of us who have ever lived and ever will live, need to be made clean by the blood of Jesus. The only way to miss out on forgiveness isn't to sin too much, it's to deny that you need forgiveness. And it's not to run to Jesus' feet and to beg for it. One of my favorite examples of this in Scripture is the difference between King Saul and King David. Now, I've said this before, but I mean, both of these guys are not the best dudes. Okay, to, to put it lightly. You could even go so far to say, like, well, both of these are evil men. And there are places I have to be like, well, not, you're not wrong. And in fact, if you stack up and you want to compare all of their sins, let's get their top 10 worst things they did. David's list is a little worse than Saul's. Not just a little, it's, it's a lot worse, right? Okay, David's a, a murderer. He's a rapist. He's indifferent to the rape of one of his own daughters. He's a really absent father who just leads to all sorts of dissension in his kingdom and just kind of shrugs his shoulders and doesn't do anything. He continually doesn't put faith in God. He counts, even at the end of his life, he makes all sorts of mistakes that lead to the death of hundreds of thousands of people. But so what's the difference between these two men? How can God say, hey, David, that guy, yeah, man after my own heart. What do you mean, God? How can you say that? Well, the difference between David and Saul is that David confessed his sins and he found forgiveness. Even though they were much worse and much darker and we can be tempted to paint over them. But Saul didn't want to confess his sins. Saul was too proud. Saul didn't want anyone to know that he was a sinner who needed to be made clean. And so David found, a, found forgiveness even being a worse sinner. Why? Because he asked for it and he begged for it. There is no sin that is so dirty that God can't wash it away. question for us is, have you been cleaned? Have you been made clean? Have you been cleansed by Jesus? For those of you who are believers, I want you to remember your baptism. Think back to that day if you can, if it wasn't that long ago. Maybe some of you were even baptized in this room. 
you were washed and immersed in water. And why do we baptize? Well, we baptize each other, right, as a declaration to ourselves and to the world that we have been washed clean by the blood of Jesus. It, it is a, a moment. It's not that we are washed by the blood in that moment, but it is something that we do to declare and to remind ourselves to say that I have been made clean by Jesus. I invite you to remember this morning, if you have anxiety or doubts, think back to your moment of baptism and remember that you've been made clean by Jesus. Not because you were baptized, but because you've put your faith in Him. That's why baptism is a helpful marker to remind us of that, to remind us of the work that Jesus did on the cross. And because of what we did, we can be made clean. And if you don't know Jesus... Or maybe in the sermon you've realized that you are not walking with Jesus, that you are walking in darkness. I'd invite you to, to come and to be made clean. The blood of Jesus is waiting to wash away all of your sins. There, there's nothing that you have done that has made you too unlovable. There's nothing that you have done that makes you too far. You are not too dirty. You are not so great of a sinner that God's grace is not there and waiting for you. In some sense, the, the baptism tank is open. It's not full of water now, but the, the baptism tank with, filled with the blood of Jesus waiting to wash you clean is here. And some of you who are believers too, you, you need to repent of your sins. Maybe some of you have recognized this morning that, man, I've been walking in darkness and I need to fall on my face. I need to ask for forgiveness from Jesus. Confess your sins wherever you are especially if you don't know Jesus, I'd invite you to, to confess your sins, place your faith in Him. You can come ask me or any of the elders who are up here. We would love to talk to you more about who Jesus is, the Jesus that we've seen, Jesus that we love, and the forgiveness that He offers. But I hope that all of us in this room are or will be walking with Jesus. Those of you who know Jesus, remember, remind yourself, you have been washed and made clean by the blood of the Son of God. All your sin, all your unrighteousness, including those things that you don't dare speak about or confess to any living soul, all those have been made clean by Jesus if you put your faith in Him. So when the light comes on, when Jesus returns or when we die at the end, I hope that all of us may find that we have been walking with Jesus. This morning we just covered these three questions of are you walking in darkness? The first question, have you seen Jesus? Do you walk with Jesus? Have you been cleansed by Jesus? I hope that all of us are walking with Jesus. If you're not, the invitation is open. Everyone can. You just have to put your faith in Him. And the challenge for all of us is that we need to walk in the light with Jesus and not in the darkness. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, I thank You that You sent Your Son. Lord, that our faith rests not in abstract ideas, not in philosophy, but in the real historical person of Jesus. Lord, that You truly came, that You lived. Lord, that you, 
You died on the cross, not just as a cute story, not just as an example of how we should love each other, but you died on the cross to make us clean of all of our sins and all of our unrighteousness. Lord, I ask that you would, those of us who are believers, you would remind us of that beautiful fact that you would give us hope and joy and encouragement from your grace. Lord, if there are those in here this morning or watching later who do not know you, I pray that you will shower your love on them. Lord, that they would feel your presence and your love and your care, that you would draw them to yourself. I ask that they would come and would be made clean by you, that they would put their faith in you. Lord, would you help all of us to walk with you? Lord, would none of us find ourselves before you, hearing you say the words, I don't, get, I don't know who you are. Instead, would we find ourselves hearing you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Not because we were so awesome or so incredible or so obedient, but just because we walked with you even after we stumbled and because we've been washed clean by the blood of Jesus. I pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. I invite you to stand as we sing one last song of worship to this Savior. Amen. Again, I want to invite you um, to stay for lunch and get to meet the Gervins. Um, if, if you would, if you just help push the chairs to the sides and bring the tables in, kind of set the space up for us, that would be great. Um, the, the food is our, those who are going to kind of be back there in service in the kitchen are already there, so we, we don't need help there, but we do need help getting the room ready. Um, that being said, I'm just going to give you the, our benediction this month from the end of 2 Corinthians. Um, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace.